Welcome to another episode of Policy and Justice, a criminal justice podcast hosted by the Department of Criminal Justice at Radford University. I am your host, Dr. Sean Smith, and I'm pleased to be joined by a dear colleague of mine, Dr. Lindsay Upton. Dr. Upton is a criminologist and victimologist with expertise on the topics of homelessness, sexual violence, media, and social justice. She's currently an assistant professor of criminal justice at Eastern Washington University, where her coursework includes victimology, crime and media, and foundational courses such as research methods. Dr. Upton, welcome to Policy and Justice. Thank you so much for having me. I wanted to spend some time with this episode talking about a topic that I know uh, is pretty close to what you study and also, quite frankly, just close to your background in terms of uh, the location that it took place. The Molly Tibbetts abduction and subsequent, well, now it's a murder case. I wanted to spend some time talking about the case as well as some of the subsequent issues that have developed from the identification of the primary suspect in the crime, mm -hmm. Christian Bahina Rivera. As you understand it right now, what do we actually know? What can we confirm as part of being facts of record? So just to kind of catch us up to speed of where we are and a lot of the conversations that have happened, I think it's important to note that Tibbetts, as the offender was being searched for, and then we found Rivera, that's really when the conversation sparked um, national, I would say, you know, like national headlines, because it really picked up then because it was related to the current debate about immigration policy and what we should do with our system in terms of, you know, some politicians quoting, we have a broken immigration system. And her case is oftentimes, what, or at least it was for, for this administration at the national level, but then also at state level, you had politicians really citing her and bringing in her case. Um, and I would say without consent of the family. And we found that you know, as I was reading this in July and August, when national debate was happening, and you have people, folks like Nancy Grace in her podcast, and also in her coverage, commenting on it, you've got major media sources as well commenting on what could have happened with Molly, and then also commenting on the immigration status of Rivera as the offender. We basically saw this happening and it quickly started happening without consideration for the family, which is typical. You can't, you know, Trump is not calling up the Tibbetts family to see if they're all right, if this becomes the poster child of immigration policy for upcoming elections. And, you know, I don't think that that conversation typically happens. I think we hear about these in the news and we think that they're fair game. And so when we say it was politicized and politicized very quickly, I think that's what this meant by that. And so, to fast forward, and I think that that's important to clarify for people, is that this is this politicization process is it occurs with a lot of types of crimes and crime and justice areas, especially when we speak about policies connected to the crime and justice system. And I think it's important to think about consent of the family. What does the family want? Well, Molly Tibbetts' father actually uh, posted in the Des Moines Register, and then this was picked up, of course, by other news uh, sources. Within, you know, a short time after politicians started politicizing this and her father used that to come back and say that this is against everything that Molly would have believed in. She wouldn't have agreed even with the immigration policies and rhetoric and the narrative surrounding certain parties. And so we were able to see the politicization process happen rather quickly with her case, her being drawn in and conflated to 
uh, her case being attached to discussions about immigration policies and laws. And then you saw her father and her family actually resist, which I think is really interesting and unique of our time uh, when we have such access to technology and we, we have the ability to do that. Her father was able to respond to say that this is not what Molly would have wanted, but it was also, you know, this is not what the family wants and this is how it harms us. And I think that that's an important uh, conversation to have when you think about victims of crimes, especially uh, violent crimes like murder, and what it is that our societal response is, how it is that that can be connected to conversations that we're having and that we're all vested in having about different policies and policy changes. There's uh, two quotes that um, I want to read, and I'd like to get your reactions to them. Uh, the first one is from a rally that President Trump was at not too long ago, actually. So the quote goes, you saw what happened to that incredible, beautiful woman. It should have never happened. We've had a huge impact, but the laws are so bad. The immigration laws are such a disgrace. Now, again, he's talking about the Molly Tibbetts murder, and then immediately he's connecting it to commentary about immigration law. Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds, there's another statement that she's credited with that's more specific on this. Again, quote, as Iowans, we are heartbroken and we are angry. She also goes on to say, we are angry that a broken immigration system allowed a predator like this to live in our community and we will do all we can to bring justice to Molly's killer. When you hear those types of statements, what are the things that are coming to mind that you know to be really at the center of this politicization issue that you're talking about? Anything that I say and comment on this has actually been is, is research that is done by political scientists who uh, disentangle kind of the narratives that take place among politicians, right? And so both being politicians that you cited who are stating this and who are really the powerful players in uh, shaping this narrative, and they have a lot of power in doing so. And so this professor that I want to bring up is actually University of Iowa professor Timothy Hagel, mm -hmm. and he actually talks about the politicization process on a number of you know media sources and i think of what his argument was which is that iowans you know that's an overstatement an overgeneralization um, there are a lot of iowans that claim to be non-political apolitical right they're not they claim to not be really engaged in that we see this happening at a national level and then also an iowa politician who thinks that this is the way that it's going to go is that this is going to sway uh, voters in a certain way. I mean, that's why they're making that statement, right? We talk every election, we talk about immigration. And her case, it's it's not coincidental that an Iowa politician who's coming up for election is probably is bringing this up. Yeah. Um, however, political scientists, even in the state of Iowa, are saying that they're not sure that that's going to be the thing that really matters when it comes down to it. Because, and they cite geographic reasons why, immigration policy typically we, we talk about it on a national level and 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 whatnot but what impacts voters oftentimes is what is local to them and the local needs so it might not be prioritized as high however on the national landscape and often affiliated with political party you will see that narrative kind of repeated through person and person right so here we have the trump administration republican likely running again and then you have kim reynolds Rep republican as well repeating that same narrative and i think that there's more pattern that you can can look at 
in as far as what what that means and also just because it is stated and that's the narrative that republicans are picking up on any political party is constantly negotiating what it is that's going to get their voters to vote for them essentially and as a criminologist so i so i want to just point to that political scientist who can speak to that and what it means for voting and why it is that they're doing which i think is an important explanation of why we see this happening and why we see the politicization process happening of molly tibbetts's case Certainly voting is a part that you can't overlook, but I think as a criminologist connected to, if we look at immigration and crime, in, there are many examples of how it is that people have conflated the idea of the myth of the criminal immigrant has been used in politics, and that can date back to as early as people were immigrating to the United right. States, right? You've got to know the political context in order to know who it is that's going to be identified as the criminal immigrant of interest. And those populations change throughout time, but we still have that tool being used in the po in political system that there is a criminal immigrant that exists. We as criminologists um, you know, acknowledge that the data doesn't stack up to that and so and that is problematic and i think that that really to me what as a criminologist what really speaks about molly's case is if i'm thinking you know the data doesn't show that the criminal immigrant is this major threat in iowa let alone on the national level what we see with our data and what we see through the science that is consistent throughout time is that it's not the threat of the criminal immigrant when it comes to homicide victimization when it comes to um, female homicide victimization, if we want to get more specific to Tibbetts' case, we see that it is actually intimate partner violence and domestic violence that we need to worry about. So when I hear politicians citing this and I'm trying to process it, their motivation is different and it's perhaps not grounded in understanding scientific data that we have or maybe they don't even know that it exists or that's just not the goal of what's being brought in in the moment that these statements are made now i'm thinking even about more about this idea of the role of the modern day criminologist i think we as criminologists need to be the voice that that rises up and say well it, that's an opinion but where are the facts that back that up so we do research and conduct the science and there's the, the myth of the criminal immigrant continually is picked up by the political system and drawn in depending upon who the criminal immigrant of the time is. When it comes to the data that we may become privy to, what can the modern criminologists do to put the data in the hands of the general public to then work with and, and make, it, make a more informed decision? You know, I think there's a lot already working. It's a matter of pushing it. There's a lot of ideas that I'm going to draw on from colleagues that are already doing this that we can move this into the mainstream. And, mm -hmm. you know, I'm, I'm going to say colleagues as in crim fellow criminologists, but criminologists in training. Yeah. I think our students, we're constantly, you know, engaging with them. And that is part of our job. It is part of our job to also do the research. I mean, significant part is teaching research and service, right? And so right. what I see happening with folks is that um, we try to integrate those more you um you know the idea of public sociology has been around for for some time um but modeling a public criminology after that mm -hmm. um since that is kind of you know our our foundations and really engaging emphasizing the importance of community engagement 
and activism. And that can be as simple as being present on social media where people are listening to your messages. It's a difficult thing to do. It's not pleasant. I've talked to a lot of criminologists who, you know, have divides with family. I think just generally right now, politics divide families all over. But recognizing that we have a title and that title I think does still have value. If I go out into the community and I say that I'm an expert in XYZ or what do you do for a living, right? Mm -hmm. People want to know, they want to know what's your take on this. So as criminologists, we can't just be reactive to that. We have to be proactive of it. We have to be engaged. We have to stick our noses in places, um, whether it's community meetings or writing some articles on the side that are dispersed to greater populations and are consumed by people outside of those who are going to journals. Um, If we're already in the process of writing that, I know that it's another task, just another task to add to what we're doing, um, but we are engaged in that writing process. And I think that that is incredibly important um, depending on the institution that criminologists are at. And I think also this trickles down to students as well, or just it impacts students as well. Different institutions advocate community engagement to different levels. And, you know, even something like service learning opportunities where students are required to go out and and engage with the community, that's an opportunity as well. I mean, that's an opportunity in a way to get data out there and to make sure that you're you're seeing what impact your knowledge has in terms of sharing it with one another across multiple forums. The idea is trying to get more information out there about the research and taking our research to the next level. We can do that via our students by sharing, by giving them information there. We can do that by engaging ourselves in social media, whether, you know, everything from posting on current events and and really inserting our voice into the conversation or doing it where we say, actually, you know, the CDC has this information, go here, guys. And it relates to this case. I did that with the Molly Tibbetts case. And I had folks outside of the field who didn't care about crime and justice issues comment informally and formally you know, go to the links that I provided where the data was. There's so much about this case that I think is worth discussing. What do you think would be a good takeaway thought for students? I would say get involved. Get involved on your campus. Get involved in your community. Don't be a passive consumer of ideas, of information. Get out and see it for yourself. Get out and look at, you know, follow up with things. If you hear about something in class or if you hear about a news story um, that hits locally or even doesn't, but it impacts you, act on that. And I think not act on that as in react on that. I mean, go do something next with it and don't forget about it. Don't take it in and and, and not act. Um, I think that that is very problematic in that if you hear about something in the news, it's easy to become numb by all the news that we hear and all the negative stories we hear. If we continually take that information in and then we don't put energy somewhere or towards something that has to deal with a lot of these issues, which are crime and justice issues that we all care about, If we don't do that and we're just taking in information, I think that that can have a very negative effect on students themselves, their happiness, like their overall feeling of contribution to their community, to their ability to just feel like they can do something. But 
if in order to feel like you can do something about an issue that you're engaged with and that you feel very drawn to and that you feel very, you know, either opinionated about or you just feel very strong about, go out and become involved in something that is responding to that issue. Go out and come become involved in something that matters to you connected to that issue. As a student, and you just mentioned student listeners and what they can do, you know, get involved with your campus, get involved with your community, organize something. If you find a, a gap in the community about a certain topic and issue that hits ho- close to home, there's likely other people that feel that way for you. And so I would recommend fully to get engaged in a community, get engaged in the topic in your community. And if it doesn't exist and people aren't paying attention to it, then that's a great opportunity for you. And that's invaluable in your experience and your journey to becoming a professional. You just don't know where that could go. And I've seen it go some really amazing places for students where they essentially go out and get involved and then that becomes their job. Mm -hmm. And then they are able to kind of give back in ways that I think that we all want to give back. I think that humans are designed to do that. And so simply get involved, (laughs) do Mm -hmm. something. Okay, well, uh, that's our time for policy and justice. Uh, I'd like to thank my guest, Dr. Upton, Dr. Lindsay Upton, once again, for what I thought uh, and I hope you found to be a fascinating disaggregation of some of the more complex issues pertaining to criminal justice and media and and policy and rhetoric uh, surrounding just this one case. Uh, Dr. Upton, once again, I'd like to thank you for your participation. Thanks for having me. And if you would like to follow up about the case or, quite frankly, just becoming more active in criminal justice and or policy issues um, around your campus or on other campuses or other communities, my email as well as Dr. Upton's email uh, will all be in the info box uh, associated with this podcast. Thank you all for listening.